Okay, hello and welcome to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies, the podcast that has been caught in a black hole, so will now take place simultaneously over the course of an hour, a day, and a week. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Sean. Uh, my name is Ian, I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as always, is the man that could start a colony and repopulate the human race on a barren ice planet with nothing more than a sport, his sheer force of will, and a potato. It's Sean Ferrick! I feel seen. Ian, I feel yeah, seen. Exposed. I feel seen and, no, exposed to something different, and I'm legally not allowed to talk about that. Was it the sport? Is that what really did it for you? <laughs> I'm hoping for Possibly. the sake of Ireland it wasn't the potato. Listen, look, uh, one of these films name drops the fact that there's no potatoes left, and that makes me very, very sad. That is very true. It was, in, it was quite a strange line to put in Dunkirk, but hey, it just uh, really added to the whole <laughs> feeling of you know, total war. Ah, but Jesus, I can't start this colony without my potatoes. Hey. Corn just ain't gonna cut it. You pay. You be nicer to you know Lieutenant Commander Killian Murphy. I saw you eyeball your bit of paper there, your notes. I did. Can't get that past me. Oh. Oh. Cool. So, the um, we're going to tell you about the social stuff next because we always leave that until the last very possible second. And our marketing and PR advisor, who we aren't currently paying yet, has said, "No, stick it up front." So we're pretty much everywhere that you go to on the internet. I don't think we're quite at the point where you can type it into Google. But if you go on, I said Google weird, or to Google, Google, don't, was that Newcastle? It's Birmingham, isn't it? It's Birmingham. Don't, yeah, never mind. I'm close enough to Birmingham that people from Birmingham can hear the accent and be outraged. <laughs> so anyway, you'll find us on Twitter. We are at English Irish GTM. If you go to Facebook and type in an Englishman and an Irishman go to the movies, we will pop up. I've tried it. Um, the other place that we'd love you to get hold of us on is our email address, which is an Englishman and an Irishman at gmail.com. So no go to the movies, just an Englishman and an Irishman at gmail.com. Um, send us in any questions that you've got. We'd like to put in a questions segment or any suggestions for movie series or directors that you want us to, to pull apart and put through this ridiculous gauntlet. Um, so you'll find us there. Any other socials or should we move on? Uh, YouTube. We do YouTube. have a YouTube channel. Bunker. Yeah, YouTube. Uh, so, <laughs> likewise, English Irish. Now, the, the reason it's kind of rotten about it is because it's quite fledgling as of when this episode is being recorded. However, there's lovely, lovely big plans, so please do check back in. The films that we're going to take on this week, so we're continuing our takedown... Not takedown. Yeah, screw it. Our takedown of half of Nolan's films. Um, so far, my track record has not been good, and I tend to be losing... I'm not going to say losing these arguments, conceding to the the better argument, although I still don't agree with Inception and The Dark Knight, but I'm not even going to give Sean a chance to correct me on that one. Um, so what we're covering off this week is Dunkirk versus Interstellar. Um, yes, is all I'm going to say to that. Yes. This has been, personally, this is the episode I've looked forward to the most. Uh, this is I'm I'm glad that it's fall because I don't think we we didn't originally set out to do these two films. We I think we knew we, we didn't set out to do anything. This has been an absolute trip over trip to get through the episodes. I, I, kind of, yeah. We <laughs> didn't set out to do anything. I, I didn't even know this guy. He just threw a microphone in front of me, and I beat him twice. No, um, no, as, uh, as yeah, with the microphone. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, old chum. Um, Are you though, really? Um, well, if we'd filmed it like I said we should, we could have more bloody YouTube content, wouldn't we? Kinky. Yeah. That, that would not be allowed on YouTube. Anyway. Sidebar. So, we uh, so what we covered so far, we had Inception versus The Dark Knight, and that that's still possibly our 
are most difficult episodes because they're both so bloody good. So, yeah, so, yeah, it definitely was. But I think these two are the films, bizarrely, that I've enjoyed rewatching the most because The Dark Knight and Inception I've seen a thousand billion times. Yep. Um, Memento was cool. I liked it. Good Lord, the name of the film that I now can't remember, Insomnia. That'll tell yeah, you how okay, we felt cool. about Insomnia. Exactly, we'll, just, yeah. we'll move on. Um, but yeah, Dunkirk and then Interstellar, I just bloody enjoyed watching both of them again. There is so much to take out of these films. There is, and uh, going so going straight into Dunkirk first. So, confession. In the cinema, I didn't like it. it I knew it wasn't a bad film. I, in no, at no point did I ever think, ugh, you know. What? I know, I know. I you didn't. I thought on first watch, I thought the time thing bugs me. It was unnecessary to do the week, the day, the hour on first no, watch. Disagree. <laughs> you disagree that I felt it was unnecessary. Yeah, I disagree. Yeah, There's no cool. way you could have felt. Uh, I know you, Sean. There's no way that you felt like that. To be You're honest, an intelligent man. Uh, to be honest, yeah. Okay, I forget anything. Because on <laughs> second watch, I much preferred it. I, I still didn't love it. I, for me, knowing that with the exception of Tenet, it's his most recent film. Tenet. 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 Um, I felt it was, you just kind of had to, had to have the time trope. Now, you did it well, but... Yeah, no, I am getting, and I'm, as we get to the back end of, I say back end of his films, as if he's got any intention of yeah. stopping. The more we go into his films, and Tenet has bugged me as well with the time thing. Mm. I This time, in some fashion, has hurt Christopher Nolan, it has damaged him in some way, and he has to fuck with it. And he has to pull it apart and mess with it. It's either that, or the basic concept of how you make a film hurt him as a child, and now he has to play with it entirely. I'm here for it, but is there a point where it's going to get old? Um, I, I, I would argue that there is films he's already released where it didn't work, and films where it, it definitely did. Um, the Inception... It was sort of the point of the film, so it gets a pass. And likewise, Memento, yeah. it was the point of the film. It gets a pass. Dark Knight, there isn't a time thing, so perfect. Nope. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, which, is, you know, it's ring the bell, it's been mentioned. Um, <laughs> Every <laughs> single episode. Dark Knight Rises has, and look, lovely guys who are listening, you, you know that this we, we do talk spoilers on this podcast, so there is possible we might mention spoilers for Tenet, on this episode, so please bear that in mind as we go on. Okay? Dark Knight Rises features some of the same issues that Tenet faces, particularly in... It's it's not so much pacing and editing as it is... They just cut chunks out. And, yeah. you know, time suddenly advances forward, and we are left to, you know, assume, oh, well, stuff happened in the middle. No, that, that's not the point of this episode. This episode might... My issue with Dunkirk is that the way he chose to tell the story from the perspective of... You've got Tom Hardy up in the plane. Um, you have, obviously, uh, Mark Rylance. Um, and I'm going to get the pronunciation of this wrong, which I shouldn't do because I'm Irish. But I think it's Barry Keoghan uh, who plays George. I, mean, I, I bow down to your um, your genetic knowledge, to well, be honest. You're um, more likely to... Excuse me, to know than I am. Well, that's that's. I mean, I, I I may have just done the poor boy dirty, uh, because yeah, he's. Oh no, hang on, I think Keowen. Oh no, I got it right, Keowen. Grant. Anyway, yeah. Oh, nice uh, one. Nice. Uh, who plays George Points. on the boat? And they're doing. Uh, it's the full oh, day, George. 
and then you have Fionn Wolfhard, who's on the beach. You had to stretch out the time to get the drama. It didn't need to be a week. You could have done the boat and the beach as one day. Uh, you know, that I agree with. Or the... I think the point is they were on the beach for a week. So, yeah, there's three or four days that you don't really see, mm. but... I don't know how else you do it. So we're going to backpedal a little bit. We're going to start with Dunkirk. Um, so Dunkirk, as is in the title, um, is the story of Dunkirk. So this was 1940. Um, loads and loads and loads of, well, 400,000 troops. Um, that's just English troops. wasn't even the French as well. Were stranded on Dunkirk. France is essentially lost to the Germans. Um, they're moving in. Churchill needs to, well, they want to save these 400,000 lives, but moreover, Churchill needs these soldiers to fight the war on the home front to stop the Nazis from getting to... And I'm going to say deliberate. I'm going to say Nazis, not Germans. The Nazis from getting to England. Um, Nolan frames this in... There is a week on the beach. There is a day at the sea, which is all of the civilian fleet coming across to assist with the rescue and then there is an hour in the air which is tom hardy um and three spitfires who are their main job is to protect the civilian fleet but also protect the mole um just to buy as much time as possible um the film does jump between this week day and hour and one of the cool things is that you see stuff that happened in the day that then happens in the hour of tom hardy's flying or something happens in the hour of Tom Hardy's thing that you then see in the final day I don't think he leans into it too much but we'll get into that debate towards the end that that is the the synopsis basically of the film um and spoiler they managed to rescue way 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 more than they had any plans to was it about 350,000 something like yeah, that yeah. yeah it was a huge huge um, amount of them huge numbers um so the, the civilian fleet of ships 100% saves the day it's absolutely ridiculous um, yeah so that that's the story of Dunkirk what before we get into the argument of the, the time thing what is it that you love about the movie what, what is it that ticks your boxes so when I was when I was rewatching it so I've only seen it twice I saw it once when it was released in the cinema and I saw it once mm -hmm. in preparation for this episode and what I missed in the cinema now which I will put down to perhaps I was not in the right headspace uh, and that does play a large part in film viewing experience because when I was watching it this time, I got yeah, very, absolutely. very emotional watching it. Anyone who, um, actually we spoke just before we came on here about you know the importance of knowing the context of a story, if it's a historical story, should you know the historical context? And you made, which I think is a very fair argument, no, you, you should not expect your audience to know the backstory or to know this, this and this. You can sort of take it as a given that, you know, Nazis bad, allies good. You know, that's... Hope, yeah, you can hopefully, people yeah. know that Nazis bad, allies good. Um, you know. But I don't think you should hinge a movie on some bit of technical knowledge. Yeah. Um, you can play into it, but don't rely on it. So, one thing I loved is... Okay, so... In this movie, it's done well. It's that patriotism... It's that we're going to go and save our lads, that feeling of, you know, particularly the civilian fleet. And it's played very well. Tom Hardy's character is very much the archetype for the RAF. 
Um, you no, know, we'll... we're going in now. Yeah, I say, jolly good, bravo, dropping bombs. Yes, to what the only thing is missing is the cup of tea. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's... Well, it's Michael Caine on the, 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 yeah, the intercom. Which, which He's I didn't sending know. I, I only read that. Yeah, you've yeah. got to get some Michael Caine in there. Absolutely. He's like, well, I say, boys, you got to make sure you have enough fuel to get back. Don't go too far now. We need you to come home. Um... <laughs> so I'm still I, I loved a lot about this one. there is a lot to love it's I love the fact that it's short as well and I don't mean that I've nothing against the length of Nolan films this is not a story that needs to be three hours long this is no and um, yeah I am starting to get tired of Nolan doing three hour films I think I'm going to throw so for the last few episodes I've been apologising for criticising Nolan and I'm not going to anymore he is so much better, and I think every filmmaker in the world is better when you leave some shit on the editing floor. If you're indulging in three and a half, four hour films, I love snuggling into a four hour film. Great, give me all of it. But I don't think creatively it does you any favours. This movie is 107 minutes long, and I sighed with relief when I saw it was that short. And the mood, the, the story is so, so tight. It is, there is not a single second wasted in this film i think every single second does something to further the story and makes you feel something yep i know i agree i completely agree i think um lengthening it you might have got maybe some more of the lads on the beach i mean it's supposed to be a week it doesn't feel like a week yeah i got a bit lost halfway through because i was like right how many how many days is this supposed to have Mm. been and i was counting every night that i'd seen but when you watch it, when you rewatch it, and you know it doesn't add up entirely, it doesn't matter. I really don't think it matters. This would be um, so. I <laughs> this sounds very kind of uh, pretentious. I really am just an Irishman having a drink. But I w- I went for a walk today to compose my thoughts because I really want to get my thoughts right on these films. Right? Yeah. Uh, spoiler for which films I think I should be in the final. But anyway, um, <laughs> this film. It's a very, very incredibly well-made film. Uh, the you know, pacing is... It's a massive propaganda piece, but I'm not saying that as a negative. Oh, what do you mean? Because there was a, there's a deliberate artistic choice made that you never see the Nazis, and when you do, they're blurred. They are just this oppressive, terrifying force. That's fine. But that's the same idea that you would get from these propaganda movies during the war. So the reason I think it's... it's I'm, I'm not coming down too harshly on that is because it feels like a film with today's budget and today's skills that you would have seen released in the 40s. That you would oh have man, seen. I'm going to disagree with you hard there. I think that he's excluded the Germans because it's not their story. Sorry, he's excluded the Nazis. Because, oh, so, bloody hell. This, this German Nazi thing really bugs me because... It's not all of the Germans were evil. Exactly. It's, you're, but you're it's right. not even all of the Nazis were evil because the German army was just people following orders. They This is way above them. They couldn't just all down the tools and say, Hitler's a bastard, we're not going to do this anymore. So I struggle with which word to use. But you don't see the opposing army because it's not their story. This is the story of Dunkirk. This is the story of the civilians. That kind of, I, I think it's the opposite. of, a, And I love that we disagree on this. I think it's the opposite of a propaganda movie because it is showing the civilian people it's shining a light on them instead of all of the fighting. So this was the the people are now needed to rescue your army. And that, I think that is 
that is beautiful. I think that's what elevates it above a lot of other army movies as well. I do I, or war movies. I com- I completely agree. I th- it's the civilian element of this story that has heart. I I feel very very much for Kenneth Branagh's character. Um, what is it, uh, Commander Bolton. 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 Yeah, Commander Bolton. Oh my goodness. I, I feel very yeah. very much for him. And I'm going to uh, stay behind and I'm going to help the French because it, it wound me up that. They were pooing on the French the entire movie. No, you can't come on. This is an English ship. I get it. And well, then he's the one at the end that says, you know what? I'm going to stay put and help the French as well. Joe, in, in no way am I defending that that viewpoint of, ah, I'll, I'll leave them. But, and again, this goes into more the historic. I won't go too much into it, but in the historical aspect, well, they had just surrendered because yeah. of, technically, because of their surrender. And it's a very big technically. That's the reason all of these men were on this beach. Yeah, it, it is. So you can, um, you can feel yeah. that there is a bit of a blame because even, again, we're jumping about in time, but even when it's discovered that there is a French officer trying to escape, trying to get away, he's not treated as an ally. No, it's not. It's You're in the way. The reason you're here is... The reason we're here is because of you, and now you're on this... But that, that boat, that they're, so they're all on this ship, and basically it's being used for target practice, and the boat is going to sink, or it won't be able to be... They want the tide to take this boat out. It won't be able to with the amount of weight that's on it, so somebody's got to go, and it's got to be Frenchy. So, and that is kind of a little metaphor for the whole beach of... You're the last. You're the last people that we're going to rescue because we're only over here to save your ass. Absolutely. The, the big picture is: if you lose France, that's a good chance that you're going to lose England as well. Yeah. No. I, in absolutely, I hadn't actually considered that. That's that's an excellent point. That the boat is a metaphor for the entire situation. Yeah, it's, a, it's a macrocosm of the entire right. film. Um. So one thing I didn't like because I'm going to no, go like no, didn't like one stop like, didn't it. like I didn't like. <laughs> Killian Murphy's character story. I thought it was too heavy-handed. No, man, I disagree so much. No, so there's I... a running joke between me and Sean that <laughs> this podcast isn't going to work because we agree on too much, but I didn't realise how much we disagree on Dunkirk. Mm. And I'm beginning to think maybe I've got rose-tinted glasses, but Killian, that I think is perfect. Um, I'm not... Okay, well, I tell you what, before I launch into... Uh, explain to me why it's perfect. So I'm not what the film or Killian Murphy. Just it's particularly just Killian Murphy's story. Yeah. I, okay. So perfect is too hard. I think that is perhaps heavy-handed, but shell shock is heavy-handed. Mm. I'm not going to pretend that I know what it feels like or, or what it is at all. But this guy. So we don't actually see what sunk his boat, do we? Um, we oh no! Wait. I, do we? It's not the torpedo, is it? Is it? It's not. No, you're right. It's not the torpedo. Sorry. This is. Actually, this isn't the problem I have at the time. This is I. I think I might be wrong. I don't think we see that ship get sunk. No, I don't think we do. So in the the, the boat, it takes a day to get from England to um, to Dunkirk. So at some point, they find Killian Murphy kind of adrift on a door, kind of like Titanic style, just like yeah, kind of yeah. floating. They pick him up, and it's not until later in the film, on the mole at the end of the week, that we see him with a bunch of other men on a boat leaving the shore and he's very he's got his shit together when he's on the boat and he is giving orders very logical something happens and i think it's deliberately unseen because you might say well that wasn't that bad something freaking traumatic happens to him between that point and getting picked up on the civilian boat and he is completely shell-shocked he won't go below deck um and so uh, the captain of the ship um so let me check i think it's mr dawson just checking that again now. yeah it is dawson 
he he has a bit of experience with this. It doesn't go into it too much. I think he's seen his son is in the RAF, um, and was. he's seen him go yeah. was in the RAF, um, and I've seen him go through some trauma. So he knows the signs. He knows that you're not going to get him to go below deck because he knows that if you get hit by a torpedo, your best chance is to jump off the ship. Um, he's absolute. He's the definition of traumatized and shell shocked. He's just. He's been picked up, and now they're going back to Dunkirk. That is the one place in the world he does not want to be. And any training he's got or anything like that goes out the window. If I need to, I'll swim home. However, I'd much rather commandeer this boat. And I, it, You cannot get more motivation than that. Of I'm not going back there. Please, please take me home. I don't... I, sorry, I don't disagree with what you've said. I, I you know, shell shock is a horrible thing uh, as if I know I thankfully I don't know but uh, the, from all the descriptions uh, I've seen it's awful and it takes away your reason um, I just perhaps it's that we're left to fill in the gaps ourselves, which I normally wouldn't bemoan of a film I like when a film doesn't treat you like an idiot you know yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a sign of you know trust your audience um, and I think we know enough about World War Two. Uh, and any of the wars to know that they people went through some shit that they are not going to talk about and that we will never know. I think we know enough about that conflict for that to fill in the gaps. So are you saying that it's good if you make sure that your audience has a knowledge of the of the events? <laughs> that's that's exactly. That, you know what? I think World War Two is big enough. It is like gravity. You I, know it happened. I think if you're watching this film, you have a passing knowledge of World War Two, and I think I, you can use that and not rely on it. Thank I you, think motherfucker. It, uh, well, you know, in fairness, yes, sir, of course. I think, um, I suppose it's it's crazy to think now that we're we're pushing oh, seventy nice. years a- on eighty eighty sorry eighty eighty, 80 years, years on. eighty years since Dunkirk because oh. Dunkirk was nineteen forty. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So. Um, so actually, oh, it's it's a yeah. crazy thing to think, but um, like younger generation, I'm I'm in my early thirties. Emphasis on the early, uh, and yes, we obviously we covered World War Two in school. I know a lot about it, and so yes, going into this film, I had a lot of latent knowledge about. I knew what Dunkirk was. Um, I knew roughly where the war war was at this kind of stages, um, but I suppose the reality is now a fifteen year old. You know, can you expect them to know that? Because this film, this film is PG thirteen. So let's say that it might not have been made for a thirteen year old audience, but you have to accept the fact that the thirteen year old is going to watch it. Do you? I don't think the fact you adjust that... your film in any way. Well, I agree with you, but yeah, does that mean then that there will be holes in the narrative for some of the audience? But I suppose, hang on, now, I I'm not even going to use that as a criticism because, to be fair. That could be true of any film. Objection overruled by yourself. I got in there before you because... You know what? Yeah. And I think the best thing, if there are questions, it means that your 13-year-old is asking questions about a period of time that needs to be remembered, not as a grudge, but as a let's not do this again. Yep, and without getting too dark, as the world hurtles toward whatever is happening at the moment, um, yeah. you know, yes, it is important to think back to these times. But listen, all right, so... Back to the film. Back to the film. I I can't think of a strong enough argument to defend my point, so I will concede to you about Kelly and Murphy. One yeah. down. Go on. That's. That, I, you I, know what? I get absolutely. that it's. 
I don't to to back you up. I don't think there was any need for um, George to die. I, I think I think the problem is they didn't have enough of a story. You need a story on that boat. George and Killian are plot devices to make an exciting story. Killian is is the soldiers of Dunkirk. Yeah, you know, that's it. It, it, mm. it stands out as you've you've put this together. You've invented this. Whether it happened or not, it, it's quite possible that it happened. But it does smell a little bit of well, something's got to happen on this boat, or else it's just a taxi. So I get it. Exactly. I get where you come from. How is from this there. boat any different from all of the other civilian ships? Now I'm just trying to find the exact. Um, well, the fact I, that actually, you know what? Up... Look, look, look I'll, I'll stick it in the description. So this boat is ba- roughly, roughly based on uh, a real story of. I'm trying to find the war. See, I think it's a, a survivor of the First World War who it was still in operation as a pleasure boat, but it was yeah. still in operation in World War Two, and it's particularly their story, uh, sort of soft retelling, in yeah. in this. Now, uh, look, it would take me too long to go on to go on no, notes now, and it wouldn't surprise me because George yeah. being in the newspaper. That, that kind of screams as something that would have... Why wouldn't that have happened? Like, why... Mm-hmm. You must be able to find a kid that ended up in a newspaper because he was on a boat that helped at Dunkirk. Um, if you think, like, I'm, I'm sure um, myself, yourself, and wh- whoever's listening to this, I'm sure if, if you dig back far enough, someone's member of somebody's family probably went off to war somewhere along the way. They might have been a kid. They might have been a grown-up. Yeah. Uh, my... One, one of my granddad's... Um, uh, I had three for anyone's counting. Uh, so one of my granddads, um, uh, no, it's not a gay couple, the uh, grandmother remarried, uh, lied about his age, and he was 16 uh, working in the war, which is conceivably around the same age as George would have been in this, and George, of course, he jumps was 17. on the boat. 17, sorry. 17. Yeah. Um, and it, it's because sometimes kids go to war. Kids have no place in war. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, no one has any place in war. Um, it's <laughs> sorry, Especially children, right. that's not right. Um, so back to the it's really so I put I put a note at the top of my notes just stay respectful underlined it is so it's hard I love this film but it's hard to be passionate without feeling like you're dancing over a memory of something that was absolutely traumatic um, do, you, do you get what I mean like I want to I love watching this film and almost feel like I shouldn't because nothing about this should be enjoyed one thing that this film, and I think to help us as viewers enjoy this film more, what this does very, very well is that it takes one of the worst defeats in British military military history and turns it into a story of hope. It really does. And that the defeat... So I love... We're going to jump to the end of the film. One of the things I absolutely love is that um, to, um, Harry Styles... And all of them are prepared for an absolute beating when they get home. Mm. They're apologising. They're saying, sorry we let you down. The blind man that Harry doesn't realise is blind, um, he, he just thinks, well, that guy can't look at me. Um, but mm. the, the guy's just like, well, Harry's like, all we did was survive. And he's like, that's enough. That's all we needed to do is all we wanted to do. And that gets me teared up when the guy's just like, all you needed to do was survive. We just wanted you to come home. That's it. Um, and then you find out he's he's blind, and that's the reason why he couldn't look at him because there was no point in looking at him. It's in in a way. So those t- within two feet of each other, Harry Styles and Fionn Wolfhard's characters, 
have two completely different experiences with this yeah. same man, uh, who is, by the way, portrayed by Nolan's uncle. Um, oh, brilliant. I been, love Nolan. He's I been really in do. Batman Begins. He was in Dark Knight Rises. He's kind of a serial cameo year. Yeah. That's now a word. Um, cameo, cameoist. Ca- oh, I like that. I would say chemist, but I think that's to do with camels. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying chemist. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I will. But it's two people within, you know, let's play with time, within two seconds of each other, experience yeah. the same meeting and have a totally different takeaway from it. Yeah, because Harry Styles is loaded to, he's waiting for disappointment. And he he's looking for the justification of that, but he's also just as much as he's looking for a justification in the fact that he feels so terrible. The first piece of congratulations he gets lifts him straight up again, and it's brilliant. And he, he takes the bottle of beer off the man through yeah. the. Yeah, uh, it's just relief, it, isn't it? It is. Like we haven't let you down. We've yeah, it's been a massive defeat, but we were determined to get off the island and be- the island we bloody lost. The we island were determined of Europe. to get out yeah. of Dunkirk and get <laughs> out of France. But, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a massive success story of the, the civilian fleet coming through, and even the newspaper is, yeah, it's a massive defeat. But what you need to focus on is this massive victory we've got. Can you imagine the newspapers doing that today? Can you bollocks? Oh, they would. Uh, I mean, they absolutely wouldn't. You'd be. It, I don't even want to talk about it because that would get me but, so mad. But, but you're but, right. It, it, it sort of it, it holds a torch up to. It's not just. Obviously, this film, this film is not a newsreel. This film is not, while it can be taken to a certain extent as fact, it is still a fictional retelling of it is, the story yeah. of Dunkirk. And, and, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not here to pick it apart fact by fact by fact. It's, you know, it's specifically told from the British soldier's point of view, which means uh, it, it's, it does exclude the French side of that. But that it it, it, it also yeah, hangs it a does. hat on that. Like it, it says, you know, obviously Bolton stays behind to help the French, and you see that how the French officer is. Tr- or uh, sorry, I don't know if he's an officer because military rank is confusing. The French guy in green, um, yeah, unless it's Star Trek ranks, I haven't got a clue. It's well, there's a. That's I'm just going to write a little note because we'll come back to that in a second because the the difference between navy and others. Anyway, so um, no, I I had no sorry. Yeah, the way the film ends. It ends Sorry, with we can that edit f- that in post. It's fine. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm getting that tattooed onto my arm. We'll fix it in post. Fix it in post. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to confuse somebody really bad one day. Um, it it ends with that famous Churchill speech, right? Oh, you know, we'll is, fight on the oh, beaches. We'll man. fight. The- However, don't you ruin is, this for me. No, um, no. Actually, this is a strength of the film. Good. What it, it's Fionn Wolfhard's character, who is reading this out, and again, the first time I watched it. I, I, I did I, I didn't pick up on the significance of it he reads it completely deadpan as it, he is it's it's like it's his first script reading which mm-hmm. is not not a criticism because then you get that beautiful image a terrible beauty image of the spitfire burning on the beach and these uh, oh. enemy soldiers we'll, we'll call them who are all yeah. in shadow taking away the heroic Tom Hardy yeah. and the screen cuts to black and then it doesn't and then it goes back to Fionn Wolfhard for a second, yes. and then it ends. And that, to oh. me, to, is a comment on heroism is wonderful and all, but what do you do after? Yeah, apps are oh, mad. We will never surrender. It, oh, it's, it's the two sides of it. Yeah, you made it home, you carry on fighting. 
you haven't made it home, you carry on fighting. Um, I, and I think that is the... It's probably one of the most satisfying endings to a film because it didn't kill him. It didn't kill Tom Hardy. Prisoners mm. of War were an absolute thing. They got released. We'll never know... I mean, I'm I'm sure historically those three Spitfire pilots are actual people and I probably should have researched that. But, yeah, you don't need... For the movie, you don't need to know. You just need to know that... Yon, if he's been captured, you're probably saying that he gets released at the end of the war. But the oh man, I could just gush about the ending of this film because it's so perfect. Um, the victory lap. So I don't care about. I'm going to assume Nolan's done his homework and that the the Spitfire, the, the plane, yeah. Once once it's stopped, once it's got its fuel, and he's just like, right, I need to find somewhere safe to land. You know what? Fuck that. I'm going to come round and I'm going to finish that that the bomber off before it can take any more of my people the victory lap that it does and the cheers of everybody on the beach on the boats the cheers for that one spitfire as it goes off into the distance and lands somewhere is there it is spine tingling it is it's the the haunting silence of because the spit they mentioned the merlin um, the the rolls royce engine in, yeah. in the spitfire is deafening and it is a character in the film it's gone, it's dead. The silence of the Spitfire just going across the screen, filmed in IMAX, is beautiful and it, so powerful. It feels wrong. It feels like it there does is feel something. wrong in Do the you know, best way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is, it's, it's almost like it's now a bird. It's not a machine. It is part of Tom Hardy. It is just one, one, one organism, and it's crushing that he has to burn it down, but. Yeah, no, it's it's not worth letting them get the Spitfire. Um, that I could not finish that film any better. I just I've had tingles for about the last two minutes talking about just the Spitfire. Oh, so good! Now this is you know showing off history here, but there is a there is a not so much a theme, but on initial watch there was the question of where the bloody hell are the rest of the planes, and it's they they mention it. In so when they, the soldiers get back to Britain, and they're getting off the boats, and the 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 rescued RAF pilot who uh, ends up on the same boat as Dawson and Killian Murphy, yes. and yeah. the soldier turns around and says, "Well, where the bloody hell were you?" And there's a, a lovely moment, Miss Dawson. Says, oh, mm-hmm. They they know where you were. They know where. They know where you were. Don't worry. Actually, what the soldiers on the boats at the time didn't know is just how much see. The RAF was engaging the Luftwaffe inland. That's why there's only yeah, one or two in. planes. It's because they were absolutely holding back the air force, and you know you had this feeling on the ground of despair and An you abandonment. know fear and abandon. Yes, sorry, and abandonment. And you're just like you know, well, where the because our air support and you know where are the destroyers, but the destroyers were engaging enemy because other stuff was happening. That's exactly. why- and most of the Navy can't come and rescue the soldiers because they can't get close enough to the beach. They'll be beached. <laughs> but, so yeah. Yeah. The infantry just feels abandoned by everyone. Um, but then it's all forgotten, isn't it, when the, the Tom Hardy's lone spitfire comes through. It's like, yeah, get it! Yeah, it's that's ours. Beautiful. It's fist in the air moment. It's cheering. And, you know, as is, I think, Harry Styles' character exists for this reason it's how much of a burden so many so many men must have felt 
because yeah. you know oh, we have to divert X amount oh, of resources just to to get save us home our asses. We couldn't fight enough. We couldn't. We couldn't hold the line. Um, yeah, it's crushing, isn't it? It is, and it, it's obviously I mean, war is sad. But this is this is a sad story. And yes, Dunkirk is seen as a defeat because militarily it was, but. Yeah, again, just to sort of... Maybe this is the longest point in the world about me saying one of the great things about this film, and I know other stories have done this before, is that it turns a defeat into, if not a victory, then certainly uh, a joyous... Yeah, it's it's a bit of a screw you to to the, the Nazis, isn't it? It's, we're going to take this defeat and we're going to turn it into a success. The biggest revenge you can have is be successful. Um yeah, we're not going to be beaten by this. You um, may have gained the so land, so but you haven't gained our spirit. Exactly, that's it, and I, that's why it's a I, I, it's such a tight story. It's such a that's the point of the story, and it's really it's really easy to to finish the film and, and get that out of it. Um, like we, I will gush for about an hour and a half about this film. Um, however, I'm not going to do the crime of missing out the score. This is my, I think, if I had to do a knee jerk. If not my favourite, it is top three scores of all time for any film. Um, just for simplicity and effect. It's, I just imagine the conversation with with Hans Zimmer that Nolan had was right. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna. I'm, he's just bragging, and he's gonna say I'm gonna make a 107 minute film of pure anxiety, and Hans Zimmer is just like hold my beer. I'm going to make the most... It is anxiety-inducing, this soundtrack. And it is so simple. It is 14... Yeah, I looked that up. It is 14 double basses in a really high register. For most of the film, just going... <laughs> and usually, so in a film like Alien, it would do a little bit of a build-up. Boom, Alien appears. This isn't build-up. Sometimes it goes on for like six minutes. And it's like, when is it going to end? And silence. Boom. That's That's... That's when it comes, but it. How can you not be on the edge of your seat for the entire score? Again, initial watch, initial listen. I they released Supermarine early, like as in that was the kind of the. It's a fantastic piece. I think it. I think it mostly plays over a lot of the uh, the Tom Hardy scenes. I have so much positive to say about this soundtrack now. So say at, it. At the time, an initial <laughs> watch and. Mm, why Why am I hesitating? Why am I hesitating? I love Hans Zimmer, right? I love him. I think he's fantastic. And, you know, wait till you hear me later on. It's very, very good, the soundtrack. It's very, very good. Uh, it's one of his stronger ones. Um, Stop saying this like you're going to say but. All right. Let me compare it to David Julian, who was the other, I suppose, big composer of Nolan films. Uh, Ludwig Göransson did Tenet. Um, Tenet. Which will... Uh, we like, like, you know, we like review one a different day. What David Julian, we, 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 we discussed, um, he creates soundscapes as opposed to soundtracks. Yeah. And that is, yeah, I think, I think Zimmer did that with this one because, you know, I would dare you to whistle a melody from Dunkirk. And that's fine. There's no crime in that. It's not meant to be a melody. It it's, no, need, no, exactly. It doesn't need no, a I, I agree. So there's not a score so much as there is a feeling. I think the score is to emote a feeling throughout every single film and it uh, film scene, and it's either hope, anxiety, terror. It is emotions. The soundtrack. 
I feel yes, yes, and I feel of the Zimmer Nolan films, the closest score to Dunkirk for the same type of effect would be Inception. Yeah, I feel no, the Batman ones are much more melodic. Um, in, Interstellar, we'll get to a little bit later on. Um, uh, I feel Inception because if, if if you listen back to the soundtrack. It doesn't make for as enjoyable a listening experience. Again, not that it doesn't have to. Not not saying yeah, it does. No, it, I totally agree. It doesn't yeah. because it's there to punctuate the film. And you do notice it. We we I think I think you remarked last week, and I I agree completely that Insomnia and the week before Memento. Go on. Did they even have music? Yeah. What what music? Do, do you know what I mean? And again, that's... same with Tenet. I think to be honest. Oh, we'll we'll cover that one in another one. Oh uh, man, the we'll only... probably I'll, I'll have forgotten by then because I'm, I'm unless I'm paying attention, I don't pick up on scores. This is I'd make a hideous film critic because I I can't even remember too much of Interstellar's, which is why Dunkirk stands out so much for okay. me because I think of the soundtrack as much as I think of the film. And that's fantastic. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Right, I get. I, I'm annoyed at myself for my own hesitation. I should good. be like, oh, look, I like it. It's good. It's good. And it is good. I do like it. I um, I think my hesitation is coming from this evening's pick of films. So it might be easier to discuss it when we get on to discussing Interstellars as well. I like it. It's very good. It does the job. It is a bit lacking for me, but let me finish that straight away. With That's I fine. love, I love that he brought in that Elgar theme. Uh, from I believe it's from the Nimrod, and I'm not just saying that I uh, to be like yeah, no, no, you're right. I done, you, haven't you, I done my homework? No, but it does. It suits it beautifully. Yeah. It does. That I, but he I, takes I, it. He makes it a lot slower. He slows it way, 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 way down. I, I text you while I was watching this, and the scene where the, the the scene of the civilian ships arriving at Dunkirk, that was a punch in the heart. That really got me more than any yeah. any of the rest of the film. Uh, like the ending is great we discussed that but that scene because I am a sucker for a know, swelling a swelling current yeah, of music uh, people helping people yeah. I love that I and you know kind of oh we'll go out of our way to make sure you're safe and everything it's that feeling of humanity yeah. as depicted in Hollywood that's it people can people uh, can be decent people it's it's uh, there is uh, a, an imaginary sequel out there of I, of Nolan's D-Day, but I would love to see if if Nolan was so inclined, Chris. If you're if you're not busy, um, I would love to see his take on that because that would be a little bit further in everyone coming together because that was cross. Yeah, that it was, was international. That was know, this is Britain. logistics oh, yeah. of getting that done. It would show a lot, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'm not finished with the score, so the the TikTok, 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 which is um, I think Hardy's fuel running out. I think there there is some there's a part of the film which is very time specific. TikTok, TikTok. That is fucking Christopher Nolan's pocket watch. He recorded it. it, sent it to Hans Zimmer. And hands him a worked that into the score. It is it's such a basic score. It doesn't it doesn't have a lot of fluff and stuff. It's what emotion do I need? I need a bit of panic with a time element. Cool, we use Nolan's pocket watch. And then a... <laughs> since we're watching it, I've I've listened to that soundtrack. I'd I'd listened to it today walking around. 
Um, but you can't listen to it on its own. It's not. It doesn't. You can, it doesn't super, have to be listened to it on its own. That's you're 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 right. You're right. Like a, a soundtrack should not live or die by whether you can listen to it on its own. You're, you're absolutely right. I think Supermarine as a listening experience is too long, but then again, it suits the film. Well, how perfectly. can it be too long if it matches the length of the scene, you madman? I know. I know. stop you, being you, a dick. You're oh, but yeah. <laughs> no buts. But, Shut up. It will make... Uh, no, I, my actually, name's I, I, Sean and I really like music and this isn't complicated enough. It matches the Oh no, it's complicated. Film. No, no, because again, it, <laughs> Zimmer's done a fantastic job with this score. I like that overall... It's going to sound opposing. Overall, the score is quite short. because it The movie's quite short. <laughs> <laughs> if only you could see the vein popping out of his forehead right now. I've, just, I've got a brand new mic and I've just broken it. Fine. The rest of this the, recording is going to be on these little headphones. One thing the score does excellently well. Oh, how kind of you. Is the... You're such a dick. Uh, is <laughs> the dread. Yeah. It, it does. Yeah. It does that. So it does the action well, but it does the dread. So the, the, the opening piece, the mole, which yeah. is the... It, the mole is the pier. Is the mole right? is that, the pier. Is... There, there's a friend that watched the film, and the film was ruined for him because... He assumed it was called the the so it goes um the uh location is one week the mole it actually comes up on the screen, so my friend assumed there was a mole so he spent the entire film trying to find a spy and he was trying to work out if the Frenchman was the spy who's going to undermine them and totally missed that the beach is called the mole, which is hilarious. That is gas. <laughs> That's Although, so shit. Wait, wait, wait. I was going to think, what did he think it was like Thunderbirds, you know, Thunderbird 2 drops down the yeah, pod and the mole comes the out and drives down. Yeah, that's the I would think of, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he comes out of the film and he's like, well, who's the fucking mole? Who was the spy? They never tell us. Because, mate, was there the wasn't French one. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's compounded by your French man, who everyone is suspicious of. So he's like, well, shit, that's the mole. That's got to be him. <laughs> I think I think we all thought he was going to open his mouth. It's going to be German. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or, or Italian, which would have been a bit sketchy. Um, make the score. I, I, I'm sorry. I it is very, very good. My my hesitation stems from the one we're going to talk about. So when we get on to Interstellar, I think you'll understand why I personally am a bit like. Whoa. I get it. I I do get it. Um, it I I it, I think it really. The bottom line is I I'm a criminal for not paying attention to the music in a film. So the fact that I'm gushing about this in my head elevates it. So therefore, oh, yeah. because I noticed it, it must be great because that's just how arrogant I am. No, uh, no, no, because <laughs> but like I will, your massive swollen head aside, um, <laughs> what I I will say is that a lot of times you could say a successful soundtrack accentuates without overtakes. Yeah, you spot know, on. You could say that. Yeah, that's a good description. Other times you will say the soundtrack becomes diegetic. And it becomes part of the score, and it's it's look it's potatoes potatoes it's 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 personal preference at the end of the day. Um, if you look at Zimmer's work on the Dark Knight trilogy, there are parts of that which are just incredibly melodic and thematic, and they suit the scene so yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you look at his Inception score, it's very. Uh, Obviously, I'm not going to say it's not loud because yes, it bloody is in parts. Well, Nolan can't seems... make a film without an overbearing soundtrack. Like, I, I almost feel guilty watching this film outside of a cinema because I remember how overbearing and just dominating the soundtrack is in the cinema. Um, mm. it, it makes your insides wobble. 
it yes it does tenet has soundtrack issues yeah big it, time. it big time massively in in the fact that I, I text a friend and i who has listening difficulties and i said go to an audio it's 50 50 whether he goes to an audio description and one that that helps a screening that helps if you can't hear properly um i said do it you you will not enjoy the film because i struggled like there are entire chunks of the film i couldn't listen to or appreciate yes yeah and i think that's um i i'm not gonna say it's bad composing because i will always cite on the side yeah you do a better job dickhead (laughs) (laughs) my pen name is ludwig goranson there we go um it's just the sound uh, leveling isn't it it is the sale. There is a, a, a funny story. I won't spend too long on this. There's a funny story on the making of Alien 3. Uh, random, I know. No, but do When it. they were putting the film together, the film's editor and the composer, Elliot Goldenhall, butted heads because the, the sound designers were like, well, your music's in the way. I want yeah. to be able to get this, this description of it being wet and gross and I want people to feel uncomfortable. To which Elliot Goldenhall replied with, well, that's why I've been hired. That's yeah. why I exist, is to make the... And it becomes the, you know, what is more important. And to bring it back to Dunkirk, it does it really, really well. Is that, you know, I, I didn't... There, there was no point in this film, and God bless him, Tenet's not the only film where this is an issue, but it's mm-hmm. not this film where the soundtrack is lost to the... Uh, sorry for, for clarity purposes, the where the score is lost to the soundtrack, or vice versa, the soundtrack yeah. is lost to the score it does it really really well it is not my favourite but it is by no means even close to the worst no of Nolan's films stop calling it she's such a dick stop trying to shit on Dunkirk um so I'm gonna I'm gonna do some I guess we'll do some wrap up thoughts on it um Mm. I every bit of this film is is wholesome and good so even Killian Murphy he he in his attempt to overtake the ship, knocks down young George, um, who hits his head um, on the on something. On, it's like a stove or something at the end. He doesn't die instantly, which I think is is a benefit to the film. There's this anger from I can't remember the name of the other kid. Sorry, um, I want to say Oliver. It's not Oliver. Um, you keep um, talking while I start. Yeah. Reading. So anyway, the 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 actual son of the pilot of the ship. Um, there's this anger when when Killian says. Is it is the kid all right? It's like no, of course he's not all right. He's not okay at all. Right up until they've rescued everybody, um, and there's two bits of this scene that I absolutely love and are so powerful. It's everyone's bundling in downstairs, um, and your man's son, Peter, Peter. Thank you very much. Peter says, "Oi, be careful with him down there." Harry Styles checks his pulse and he goes, "He's dead. He's already gone." And Peter's just like. Well, yeah, be careful. Anyway, be careful with him. And they all bloody do. Yeah. They they gently pick him up. They slide him to one side. There's just this respect around. They don't know how he's died, but it's quite clear that he died on the way here. But in the same beat, the same second, he turns around, Killian is standing there, and he says, is the boy all right? And Peter just says, yeah, he's okay. He'll be fine. I, that just, just focus on that moment for a minute. That was because Peter's presumably feeling so much anger towards the maturity Murphy, on this kid is. To, to do that the compassion yeah. because eventually the the shell shock will now whether he was aware of it in that moment but presumably that shock will wear off and Killy Murphy's character is 
going to at least somewhat realise what he's done. Yeah. He will have to live with that. Peter didn't need to turn around and shout at him there. He No. And yeah. I think Killian's got enough to live with. I think he yeah. Peter acknowledged that it, whatever he's gone through to make him like this now, he's got enough that he's going to have to deal with. He doesn't need to deal with that as well. And then the glance between him and and the captain of the ship as well, it's just mm. little nod. Yeah, you, you you made the right choice there. A li- little little moments like that are so 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 powerful and so good in this film. Yes, no, I, I totally agree. I there's a so uh, Mr. Dawson, his elder son, who I, I'm not sure now if we know his name. He died about no. two weeks into the war. He yep. was with the RAF, and there is a feeling that the 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 RAF soldier that they managed to rescue in a it's a very spectacular scene that crash was filmed with an IMAX camera so that yeah. was that had to be done carefully yeah they strapped it <laughs> so all of the spitfire stuff is is the external shots are filmed with an IMAX camera strapped to a plane film the whole lot it's gorgeous and then oh, the, that crash scene is oh man like there's a reason this film cinematically looks different to anything else even on a regular screen it looks bigger it looks wider to get the scope of it um yeah yeah that is that and again tension like he's been through enough he's deliberately decided to ditch it into the sea and now he can't get out and he's trapped oh i'm gonna panic uh, attack jordan is a a link back to the prestige just that feeling of drowning the claustrophobia it's Oh, he does uh, that. I don't know so what well. happened to Christopher Nolan when he was a kid, but you know, I hope it, he's okay now. Indeed, but it never feels like oh, it's fine. He's going to get out. No. It feels like this could be the end for him. It feels really, really organic. Um, what a grim witch! And actually, the the French soldier, he's snagged on something in the boat. He doesn't get out. No, grim, it, oh. and nobody knows. No, nobody it, notices. Nobody knew his name. No, nope. anything. And that, to me, one of the huge sad but huge successes of this film is that there are so many in any medium in any story there's so many you know the body that you walk past yeah what that was you it? never know their story who was it what happened and yep. this french guy says i think three words i think he says yes we français yeah that's it that's, Th- that's all it you ever hear. that's his three words but I mean, I mean, on that point, so Nolan deliberately used uh, very inexperienced actors. He wanted, with the exception of Hardy, obviously, and Kenneth Branagh, um, he wanted the bulk of the the soldiers in particular to be inexperienced actors to show that they're all they're inexperienced soldiers. These were kids that have been drafted um, to help to, to fight for their country, and I, I that's it's a bit of genius, isn't it? I know you should be able to rely on actors to act, but it. This does a bit of the work for you, doesn't it? Um, there was. I don't, do you know this story that there was almost no script? Yes. So I, I think there was. The initial plan is it was going to be. I don't know to what percent, but largely improvised. Well, it was like going to be one hundred percent improvised. It was going to be. There's no script. We know the story. We've got inexperienced actors, so just film the scenes quite com- com- conversationally. Um, now. Nolan's wife, Emma, is Emma Thomas. Emma Thomas, yeah. Thomas, yeah. Thankfully, and I think sometimes you need this person in your life that says, you're a bit too big for your boots here, said, no, you need some sort of script, especially if these are inexperienced actors. You need, don't leave it to chance. It's like whenever we get- try and ad-lib the intro, it always, no matter how many times we do it, we're going to get it wrong. So he threw together a 79-page script, just 
basically, as they'd started filming, just to cover off what needs to be covered off, just to give a framework. Um, and I think it works. I think it's brilliant. Yes. I think the the film says so much more through action than it does through the script. So, right at the start of the film, you've got your French man who... Oh, and poor... Um, I've forgotten the main soldier. Is it Tommy? It's Tommy. Uh, sorry, I know yeah, the your main man, name. Tommy. All I he's trying Tommy, to do yeah. for the first ten minutes of the film is take a poo. He, all he, he just wants to go for a number two, and he gets stopped like three or four times. He gets to the beach and he's like, "Whew, made it to the beach." Drop trowel, looks over, and French just be Francais um, is burying a soldier. And there's no, there's no like conversation. He just goes over and helps bury him, and it's. Oh my god, he's not doing it for any other reason than it's the right thing to do. There's no, I don't think we've had any dialogue in the film up to this point. It, everything is just actions, not words. Uh, I, I, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, my god, just in this series alone, we've seen Nolan more or less uh, in series. So we've seen him, you know. The things he's learned from each film mm-hmm. being depicted, particularly the just the IMAX scenes alone, are just stunning. And but, but actually, no, really, to point to that, they're stunning. Yeah, they're absolutely really stunning. beautiful. In and this it's, film. they are used sparingly as well. So he doesn't use IMAX for the people scenes. So he uses, I think it's filmed on sixty-five mil, wasn't it, for the conversational seventy? I think. I think he's a big fan of seventy mil. I, I might think be you're wrong. wrong. Yeah, I think no, I think this was the exception. I think he went for sixty-five oh, okay, to, gotcha. to give it a bit more closeness. Um, yeah, used IMAX for the big sweeping stuff, and then seven, uh, sixty-five or whatever it was for the for the close-in stuff. So he's he's using his nouse as well for for that. And oh, I just I just think this film is put together so well because he was on a time limit as well. I think that's the mm. best thing he could have done is to, is to not make it three hours long. I think you will. You will never catch me saying Dunkirk is a bad film. Stop putting a comma after your sentences. But we need to talk about Interstellar. No, we we do. I've gushed about it. Yeah. We I I could continue to gush, but I, we will give we'll give Interstellar a fair cop at winning this. Um, it, it deserves. <laughs> that's, that's all I ask. That's it deserves. Ask. It deserves that opportunity. Uh, so, uh, Interstellar. Um, Interstellar. So, so I'll say it now to all our listeners. Pause the episode. Go for a pee. Because Interstellar yeah, is not one of his shorter films. <laughs> so, at the opposite end of the spectrum of short films um, is Interstellar. God, wow. Um, so Interstellar, it's, so Dunkirk is the came out in 2017. It's the second most recent film. Interstellar yes. came out before it's the one Dunkirk. Just before it, yeah. Just this before. is 2014. Um, and there is more. I didn't realize this, but there's more in common between Interstellar and Dunkirk than I thought. Um, so do you want to do the same? Do you want to do the synopsis first for Dunkirk? Uh, for uh, Dunkirk. We're, we're going to continue <laughs> talking about Dunkirk. We're just going to go back to the beginning, um, okay. and as Why if we hadn't had this conversation. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Interstellar. So, mankind has basically it's reached the last days of life on Earth. Um, <laughs> life is start. Life is starting to die out. I'll get you. I'll get you back on site. Life is starting to to die out. It is suggested in dialogue that we have shrunk from a population of they now they name call six billion in the film, which shows it wasn't filmed today. Uh, oh yeah, we've to, already passed that. Yeah. We're down to the last few million people on Earth. So the protagonist of the film is Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey. 
Uh, he is a retired, uh, I think more retired by situation rather than by choice, a retired pilot. He's an engineer. He is raising his two children with, with the help of his father-in-law, Don. His children are Murph, get used to that name, and Tom, played by a very young Timothy Chalamet. There's a lot of Oscar nominees in this film. I, w- I will say that. One thing Christopher Nolan always does well is he gathers talent. He, he does, absolutely. I mean, oh. it might well be because you've got a Nolan film on your resume from a young age. But Whoops. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, long story medium, uh, he gets to... So, he is called into school and his daughter, Murph, is in trouble because she's been trying to tell people that the moon landings did, in fact, happen. Whereas the teachers of the day are trying to say that, no, it was very silly and why would the Earth have ever wasted their resources on this? Uh, and he responds by saying he'll take his daughter out to a ball game because that's what she likes. Because he is very much, <laughs> there is something out there. There is yeah. a reason that a we reward. did this. He comes yeah. out and he's like, oh, how did the meeting go, Dad? Mm, I got you suspended. Sorry. Brilliant. <laughs> but it's very, very funny. The, the interplay between the two of them is very, very good. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Mackenzie Foy as uh, 10-year-old Murph. Brilliant. So uh, they end up, uh, through a series of events, they end up discovering NASA that has very realistic gone underground, which is hilarious <laughs> for a space program. Um, because Bound. it was see, we'll, we'll get, oh no, no, that's right. So then from one scenario to another, Coop is blasted off into space, right? They have discovered a wormhole in orbit of Saturn that they have sent people through. So they know it's viable terms uh, in terms of travel to find another place to live. They have, NASA has, in, in NASA personified in Michael Caine's uh, Professor Brand, has effectively given up on Earth. Earth is gone. They, there's no saving Earth. So it's time to look somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, but we don't know that. It's, no, I know what you're thinking. We'll get back to that. Right. So they, they go off anyway. Uh, it's, they get to the wormhole. They go through the wormhole. They get to another galaxy. And they then go through a bunch of adventures. And I think that's probably enough for the moment I think that's to, fair. to get to. Yeah. yeah. I, th- this is a long one. This is just under three hours. Uh, my, myself and Ian have had discussions about this film. I would argue that you could bring this down to about 2.10 and you wouldn't lose. Yep. Totally you wouldn't agree. lose I too much. Even, I would even yeah. say two and a half. And I'd live a bit better. I think it's, and there is probably one twenty-minute scene I would happily remove and burn. I I know which scene you're talking about, but there there's there's a section of the film I feel could be lifted without losing anything. Um, and I know we're in deep spoilers, but I still won't go to that for a second. So there is just so much to love about this film. I'm going to talk about what we like first. We we I I have issues with the film as well. There 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 are problems with this film. So I am um, going to preface this with i love interstellar it's it's top three nolan for me um it could, it could he's lying it, no it could well win i love interstellar but there is enough wrong with it that stops me from in this competition wanting it to progress further let's say do you feel that because of its length it has more room for things to go wrong um yeah kind of i think that you'd I don't have anything inherently against long movies, but I think you've got a a risk of becoming self-indulgent when you don't. I think this podcast is probably a good metaphor for it. Episode one is almost two hours long. Could we have cut it down to an hour and a half? Yes, but we didn't. 
um, I think when you've got an almost unlimited time scale, you can you can just kind of do what you want, and maybe that does allow a little bit to go wrong. It, you, you don't make a tighter story, do you? Because you can just you can keep everything in it. On on Murph's bookshelf, there is a copy of The Stand by Stephen King. Right, that is my favourite book, but it is also one of the greatest examples in the literature world of. Stephen, editors exist for a reason. <laughs> Fucking use them. It's 1,100 pages long. It was initially, they, they cut out something like 200,000 words for initial publication because they're just like, no, books aren't this Stop long. It. Stop you it. You can't do this. Um, hey, if you're Stephen and... King, you can do what the hell you want. And that's the problem, isn't it? No one's going to tell Nolan your film needs to be shorter. So that that is a problem. So, okay, so we both we both, we both both fucked up. Right, we both said, let's say something nice before we say complaints. All right, and we both went straight to, it's too long. It's because too, it is, yeah, to, it is too long. I haven't got the attention span. And it's not even an attention span thing. Is I think there's a there's a tighter, better story in there. It's called Event Horizon. Um, that, <laughs> that works. I think, yeah, I, I want to talk to you. Event Horizon, if it had... I like Event Horizon a lot. Um, well, and... one of my notes on this film is, oh damn, you got some Event Horizon on my Interstellar. It's uh, it's <sighs> had it had a better writer, Event Horizon could have been. Anyway, let's listen. Yeah, we're talking about Interstellar. Um, right, so it does what you hate. It starts at the end. Hey, motherfucker, you st- uh, stop starting your movie with the end of your movie. Now it doesn't do it in a way that's twenty four hours earlier, but it yeah. still does it. I, I like no, I like it, does it be- well. No, I, I I would argue the opposite because you don't. Re- so, the first lines of the movie are spoken by Ellen Burstyn, uh, and if you like me like films, then you probably like <laughs> Ellen Burstyn <laughs> yeah. uh, because I feel she's like just, that was aimed oh, at just me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but God, no! Uh, she's she's brilliant. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, uh, The Exorcist. You know, oh, she's, she's yeah, untouchable. Serious, serious talent, um, and you know, so I re- again first watch, I recognised her, but I, for some reason, yeah, you'd be then, because so much happens so quickly, you, you sort of you sort of switch off, because she's also intercut with uh, interviews from a documentary called The Dust Bowl, which was made in twenty twelve, which was about the uh, it, was, it was basically a great dust storm that happened in the Midlands in the nineteen thirties. So a lot of the scenes where you see dust being, you know, beating down on Coop's house and on the car and everything is based on a real event that happened. Uh, obviously, in Interstellar, it's a, you know, it happens Which every is very cool. week. However, what does it add to the film? Is it needed? Is it need? I would argue that it. I would argue that it is. Uh, I understand. One would have probably been enough. Like the the one that happens at the ball game would probably have been enough. And yeah. they do. They do, do two. Sorry, I meant the document. The documentary. Does it add any? The, the dust storm definitely does. I meant including the documentary footage. What does it add? I All right. What I like about it is that this film, and while it doesn't always do it successfully, what it does is it says, I am going to show you a future that is not Star Trek. I am going to show you a future that is not anything like you've seen before. It's today, but... Later. certain things have happened and that you you know you, you yeah. can feasibly get to saturn you know? and the degradation of the planet and even the whole we're talking spoilers the whole impetus of us sending a message back to ourselves is it's because of climate change it is because of yep. this. this is a very environmentally 
conscious film. Uh, Murph is a farmer. Uh, Coop is a farmer. Um, And, you know, he he grows corn because it's so bloody resilient. Uh, There there is a funny uh, throwaway line. Uh, This is not original. I robbed this from Screen Junkies. But, you know, there's the uh, horror that it's the last okra harvest ever. I can't remember the last time we ever ate okra, but okay, I'm very sad that it's gone. Um, <laughs> but it it just it so two things on that. The Cooper is a farmer because hey, the, the world didn't go to shit because we ran out of mechanics and engineers. It, it went to shit because we ran out of food. This is why you're a yep. farmer, and this is why your son is going to be a farmer. And, and also, even corn, the most resilient of ev- of every crop, is dead. It's mm. dying. You've got about thirty years until nope. You you're gonna Mass you starvation. will absolutely yeah. run out of food. So it so for me, including that documentary, um, this is a you know it, it's a marmite thing. Do you like that Christopher Nolan starts his films at the end? I don't mind it, which is why maybe why I don't mind the documentary footage. However, I get that when you're as fed up with him doing it as I know <laughs> you are. I'm right. No, I'm not. Nolan does it fantastically in every film. He does it okay in this. Other films, it pisses me off because it's now just, oh, isn't this edgy? Isn't this interesting? This is going to grab your attention. No, just start with blowing up a shop like Die Hard with a Vengeance does. Start If you want to start with an action scene, start with an action scene. I don't need a... Don't worry about it being out of place in the movie. Um, sorry, the documentary footage reminds me I'm watching a film. And I hate things that remind me I'm watching a film. I'm watching a film to escape. The documentary stuff just reminds me this is out of place. That's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. I, one of the reasons that I don't have as much of a problem with it is that, for me, Interstellar is not an action film. It's a fictional documentary. And so because I feel it's that way, um, there are parts that don't fit into that description i know but because i feel of it overall that it's that way the documentary footage for me makes sense totally agree it is a documentary because um it's pretty common that sci-fi was a dirty word on set you weren't allowed to say this is science fiction they they had a friggin physicist okay the script and and no no science when in no science fiction went into it that couldn't be extrapolated from current science they, I think they said, I think we, we must have read the same thing. Uh, Dr. Kip Thorne. That's it. Yeah. So uh, so uh, himself and his wife, I want to say Sarah. I think you're origi- right. Originated the idea. So this is an, it's an old idea. We're talking 90s, early 2000s. Steven Spielberg was originally approached to make this film. And by the time the Nolans, because it's uh, Chris and Jonathan Nolan, uh, got their hands on this and uh, in... Dr. Thorne's own words, changed it so much that it wasn't their story anymore. No. Well, but Jonathan still was, respected. Yeah. He was yeah. already attached to write it with Spielberg. Yes. And then when Spielberg turned it down, well, did it because Spielberg was doing Spielberg things. He said, you know what? My brother Chris Nolan, you might have heard of him. He also directs films, so let's get him on. But yeah, they, they, I almost feel like there was an uneasy thing between Nolan and the, the scientific advisors because they kind of agreed cool but as long as you don't handcuff my story cool but as long as you don't Mm. make up some science i get what you mean it is at the same time it's a mexican standoff it's also like an angry symbiosis it it is yeah it's it's an impossible challenge as well because 
the reason we don't know is because we don't know. And black holes are something we probably will never know, and we probably won't ever understand. Uh, I mean, my, my only, like, I'm not hesitating. You are absolutely right. <laughs> my hesitation is that I want to know. I'm like, I'm like the X-Files. I want to believe. I want, exactly. Yes, so that, that is where it becomes pure speculation. I mean, and I'm not even talking about the Tesseract scene. I'm talking about just the fact of getting into a black hole without dying instantly. Yeah, I, I do. Know? I think it's to the film's benefit that they, they keep the science really, really grounded. Um, they, they do. Even the more outlandish... Sorry, not to speak over it, but just even the more outlandish science, yeah. which is you know, science fiction, but even that bit, it's, it's told in such a straight-faced way that is not like a wink and a nod. and No. Nope. It's like you can see where... It's soldered. You can see where that wire attaches yeah. to that wire. There aren't really yeah. any MacGuffins at all um, of, of things that are going to be used so that so that we can progress the story. Um, it, it's all it is extrapolated from from current science. Um, mm. The point that I was trying to make about fourteen and a half minutes ago was that yeah, it, it is not science. It's not science fiction to a degree. So then, why are you using actual documentary footage? The documentary stuff comes in because they've moved um, Cooper's house <laughs> onto the space station as a memorial, um, and there's there's documentary footage playing. So that is the documentary footage we're watching. Why not film it? Film documentary footage with your actors. Don't use documentary footage from an actual event. It It, it is so clearly not a film, the stuff that we're watching, and it... Every time it takes me out. I'm not even saying remove it. I'm just saying film it. Do you know what? If if that had been actors, and if it had been specifically filmed for Interstellar, I would have said, well, isn't that the point? Is that you know it's clearly not a film. Is that it's just been made for this. But the fact that I know it's footage from a documentary, I, I, I do actually, I agree, well... You can always take inspiration from a real life documentary and make your own. I mean, you're making something exactly. else. Why not do that? I don't uh, know what the benefit is to using real footage. I and you know it, whether it was I want to honor what happened. Well, you are honoring what happened. You're putting it in the film. The dust. But this isn't storm. what the film is about. The film isn't about that horrible dust thing that happened. One. This I mean, isn't Dunkirk. You're right. I mean, frankly, you're right. Well, you're right. And they, and they weren't a million miles off each other. But you're right. So, I think when you have a film that cuts between locations the way this does because this obviously cuts from the endurance spaceship back to Murph on Earth uh, Murph on Earth there we go um, <laughs> Murph on Earth and some films will do that and you will run the risk of going well I don't care show me the sci-fi show, I want to go to the other planet this does there is there is a lot of emotional attachment and I think the documentary footage not to I suppose not to stay at one point for too long but I think the documentary footage it leans on us caring so much about what's happening to the earth which we do i do agree with you to the point that it goes just a little bit too far i wouldn't necessarily excise it but i might recreate and maybe alter it you know yeah i think the emotion thing is the best argument that i've heard is it it adds a bit of emotion to the the plight and how no matter how much you act there's nothing that switches people that have actually gone through it um, so okay, I think we'll draw a line under that. Yeah, it's we've because, come to some kind of agreement. Because yeah, um, a grudgy. Are, I mean, if I'm Nolan, I'm leaving that bit in. If I'm a proper editor, I'm probably going to cut that bit out of the podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's pretty much uh, killed the idea of him ever coming on this podcast. 
Um, one of right, the on. one of the issues. What do you love about the film? What do I love about the film? Um, well, as you may have picked up, I like the score, but with that, go on we'll, score. We'll, no, score no, we'll, 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 we'll get to that one because that's going to have its own fucking podcast. But um, <laughs> I do love the I love the signs of it. So look, you know we've been Trekkies forever. So you know we've spent our childhoods watching spaceflight, and one of the things that I think you know tv in general including cinema has done is it's moved toward a more realistic depiction uh, not every show of course but it's moved to a more realistic depiction of space travel the silence of space the the nuts and yeah. bolts of space gravity would stick out oh, in my mind there of two two things you've just mentioned there i absolutely love any film that does silence in space it's the one thing i wish star trek would do but understand why it doesn't because you wouldn't get you wouldn't get torpedoes and phasers but Silence in Space is phenomenal in this film and done so well. Gravity. So I was watching it with my other half and she was like, why is it spinning? And I was like, centrifuge. You don't, unless you've got artificial gravity plating, which we don't know is possible yet, you need a centrifuge to press you against the edge so that you can walk about. And we need to do that or else our bones will degrade in about six months. And actually, on that, let's talk about the Kubrick in the room. So yeah, let's do it. Considering you don't like two thousand and one, a space odyssey, let's do it. I right, okay. So you're absolutely right. I don't because I mean, it, why don't you like movies, Sean? <laughs> one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of two thousand and one is because I like movies. Oh, you oh, son of a bitch! I know. No. Right. So um, two thousand and one. So we have to give a little bit of context. Two thousand and one, a space odyssey is the quintessential, and I'm not arguing this. It is the quintessential sci-fi film and i think interstellar is the spiritual there is an actual sequel but this is the spiritual sequel there's two to 2000 yeah it is yeah actually do you know i didn't know i knew it was 2010 i didn't know there was another sequel um there's two okay sorry so the next sequel is a book so there's two oh, more sequels yeah, okay, after yes. it there's yeah. uh, well, no, there's 2010 and 3010 i think well actually do you know what? But, that's that's a fair sorry, point because this film was nolan and dr kip thorne Whereas 2001 A Space Odyssey was Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, who is yes. arguably, and I'm, going, I'm big arguably because I will argue the point, he is the greatest sci-fi writer of the 20th Not century. Not arguably. He is. I'm just going to put arguably in case I <laughs> choose to change my mind. But yeah. So one thing that is that 2001 is, that Interstellar isn't, is 2001 is as cold as the darkest night of winter in Greenland. Yes, nice. Interstellar has a warm beating heart all through it. And if you like happiness, you will agree that Interstellar is a great film and better than Dunkirk. But if you like sadness, you know, no, I'm only kidding, of course. You son of a bitch. I, I I think there's there I don't I generally don't like heart, which is why I don't like romantic films. I generally don't like films with children in them, um, but I think heart is overrated. I think you can sometimes you can have too much oh, absolutely heartness just for the sake of it. Um, I think I there is something to be said for being a little bit clinical sometimes. Oh, I d- sorry, I absolutely agree, completely agree with that. Um, I, I I get why there's genres put it that way. Like there is a, yeah, a romance exactly. genre. Yeah. Um, no, I I feel that at its at its core, Interstellar exists to depict the love between a father and daughter 
that's the story. That the heart of the story is family, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not so. This is something that Nolan himself has said: is it's not a sci-fi movie. It's a story about family. And that was the brief that he gave to Hans Zimmer to steal a point that you're going to make, no doubt. Is I want you to write a piece of music about family and about uh, a father leaving his daughter. Um, and then after Zimmer wrote that, he said, right, this is the surrounding film, but base it on what you just wrote there. That That is what the film's about. It's it's beautiful. I, I, I was watching a thing today, and the the reviewer was very, you know, animatedly giving out about, you know, oh, well, I, of course the ghost is Coop. Of course he is. It's like, that's the point. The whole point yeah. is that the story happens in that bedroom. It happens in that house. That's why the house is on the space station. That's why the Tesseract yeah. is the bedroom. That's why it's all about Coop and Murph. And for me... I like it. I do like that. Where I think the film fails, which you'll be delighted to hear because this will be a... Because it does. Where I think the film fails <laughs> is where it, it ends with Coop going in search of Brand. And I, it's a nice relationship. I I, I, I think Coop and, and uh, I think Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, actually, I don't know if anybody saw this coming, but I think they make a lovely couple. But it yeah, should have finished, in my opinion, with Coop and Murph. Because it started with Coop and Murph, it should have finished with Coop and Murph. And I think that's the story of the film. I think make I think it... thematically that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe it doesn't make sense. You know, Coop has to go off, and, but I think his story is finished once he gets back to Murph. Isn't this? Isn't that where this? Isn't Anne Hathaway's planet where um, the? So is it? Who is Edmunds. the astronaut? Edmonds. Yeah. yeah. Isn't his planet? That's where the space station is going. Isn't that where this? The place is going. Um, I thought they were aiming for that. No, because she so, has well, made. Well, so by the time that Coop makes it back to humanity. Uh, it's it's a it's a throwaway blink and you'll miss it line. Uh, there are many of these stations, so so they've just decided now that they've solved the gravity problem, we can just we can exist. In we space. can lift off as many of these as we want because gravity don't mean shit. So Basic, we'll just live in space. Basically, I yeah. assumed that they were still on course to Anne Hathaway I, because that is a. But then, how would they know that planet? They wouldn't have known that that planet I do, I'm, is I'm, habitable. I'm not sure if no, I, I'm not sure. Because, and maybe this is a criticism against the film. I, I'm not sure whether they're following the signals from the wormhole, or whether they're just they have reached because you know whatever fifty, sixty years, well more, maybe maybe seventy years have gone by. Altogether, it's seventy-four years. Because yeah, because so that puts so it's Murph twenty-three is, years on the um, on the water world. Um, Mm. Yeah, thank you, Kevin Costner. And then fifty-one years on the event horizon. Thank you, event horizon. Thank you, Kevin Costner. Fuck yes. Um, and then fifty-one. No, it wasn't Kevin Costner. Shit, who was it? No, I get him confused with Kevin Costner. Sam no, Neil. man from Jurassic Park. Sam Neil. Better say they. Come on. Well, I mean, they look going. exactly the same. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Sam Neil, and AKA Kevin Costner. And there's fifty-one years around the black hole. So yeah, it's, it's about seventy four, seventy five odd years. I actually now I knew it was X Men years. I didn't. Now it makes sense to me. I didn't realize it was fifty years around the black hole. I I know from again from Star Trek, Stargate, those kind of things. I I, I 
have more of an understanding of the theory of relativity than I have any right to because I I studied no physics in school. Nope, but there are some consistent themes that sci-fi yeah. shows use and time dilation, I love it. I think this film does it phenomenally well and it, overall, it's just something I love when sci-fi uses it because it oh, messes with your brain. There was, I when, when I was watching this, I, I text you, There there there's a few, there is a few scenes in this film that are just, they're designed to be like, and now we're gonna kick you in the heart, and you're gonna cry. You are going to cry. And myself and my partner, we went to see this. We we booked the tickets late, so we were nearly the front row. And front row IMAX when they're getting off the water world is, I've not felt that kind of panic in a while. Um, <laughs> until you watch Dunkirk. Until you well, arguably. Um, but we get back to the ship, and so because of time dilation. As you said, 23 years have passed. And so what we see... crushing. This, 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 this is painful. So Coop, Matthew McConaughey, he's still in his, let's say, 40s. Uh, you know, he gets back up. And what they've been doing, there's a theme of once they've gone to this this side of the galaxy, they, um, they get messages from home. And, you know, it's suggested before this that, you know, a couple of years... I think, I think it's two years to get to Saturn. So time has Correct. passed. But it's still... The kid actors, yeah. All right. So still, you got Timothy Chalamet, and you've got Mackenzie Foy. Uh, well, Mackenzie Foy doesn't send a message because uh, no. Coop and Murph. This uh, anyway. I'm jumping all over the place. Anyway, sad scene there. So gets to this, and Coop says that there's been many internet memes about this. It's it's been turned into something funny, but uh, you know reaction. So he's watching this video, and Timothy Chalamet is talking to him, and straight away he's kind of like tearing up because. He knows. He's in pieces immediately. He doesn't know what's coming, but he knows something's coming. And then the next thing you see is that it's not Timothy Chalamet anymore. It's Casey Affleck because his kids are becoming adults because he spent an hour down on this planet and that hour has wasted a quarter of their Uh, lives. It, yeah. And when I was... No, carry on. Oh, so when I was in the cinema, I was... It it was sad anyway. Uh, And again massive massive kudos to Matthew McConaughey because my god you believe his reaction in this film you believe how he feels but there was a lady behind me right and it was it it was kind of building because it was it was starting to bother me you know when you're in the cinema and obviously you you accept the fact that there are other people around you but it was starting to annoy me it was like shut up will you and then it gets to the bit where uh, Tom is talking about you know first of all he shows the little baby to uh-huh. Coop and in the next video the little baby's not there no. and it takes a second and then he says well you know granddad passed away last week we buried him out beside Jesse who was the baby <sighs> and the lady behind me she I, I've never experienced this in a theatre she was roaring crying yeah. I don't mean that kind of I'm in the cinema and I'm teary eyed I mean yeah. she's just lost somebody kind yeah, of cry and this hits home and yeah. that to, to this is like, I was watching it again for, for this week obviously and the scene is powerful enough but with that memory oh my god god Christopher yeah. Nolan you bastard bastard you absolute and it bastard is, it's one of those scenes that I watch and realise I could never be an actor because I don't know how I don't know how McConaughey pulls that off he is sobbing no amount of onions is going to bring those tears to your eyes um, and it's it's almost 
he's letting everything out because every second that he's on, literally every second he's on the water planet, he knows that he's missing out on years. Um, so I'm a bit of a nerd and I did a bit of maths on it. So they tell us that one hour equals seven years on the planet. So every single second on the planet is 17 hours. This doesn't quite make sense because they've been gone 23 years, which means that they must have been on the planet for three hours. But it doesn't look like they were on the planet for three hours. Yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, I agree. You're right. It, it's, it's, it's. They say it will take about an hour to vent the engines and to get all of the water out. We see the entire conversation between him and Anne Hathaway, which is about five minutes ish. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly the engines are ready and they're, they're off. They're off ready. Well, no, in fact, um, Tars says. This is going to be. It's going to be a couple minutes. Couple minutes until it's ready, and then they do the vent the engines and then take off. So, it it's annoying that maybe I've missed something, but that doesn't add up. No, you're right. And actually, unfortunately, this is a trope in Nolan films: is time for all of us playing with time. Time doesn't add up in a lot of his films. No, um, it doesn't. And this was so easy to make it add up as well because. You could have easily spent three hours on the planet and just done a couple of edits so that it takes longer. Um, but it, 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 regardless, it still it hits every single second that he's on the planet because the, the, the whole point of this plan is that we're going to spend as little time as possible on the planet, do the recon, get back up. We're going to lose two years, but during that two years, he can research some gravity stuff. Yeah. Um, there was never an intention to be there for 23 years. There was, uh, th- there's a, I mean, there's all of the emotional points about it, but there's a, a, a great point as well, which is once they get back up and they, they, they find out that obviously X amount of time has gone by, their plan that they had when going down is now on hold because they've run out of fuel. Back to the drawing board, yeah. because you've used 23 years of fuel. So you've now got, you've got to make a choice between two, two planets. There was, there was a funny thing uh, I read. Um, so, uh, is it where's Bentley? Um, actually, the guy who plays Doyle. Um, yes. He uh, and so he is shown his body is shown to be intact after you know there there was tidal wave he, he's lost and yeah. he's wearing a spacesuit so presumably that's watertight because it's airtight. Yeah. Relativity. There's there's nothing to say that he's dead. He could be saved. Yeah. You know, which is a kind of, I, I, I like to pick that as a little kind of a, do you know what? He's just That's having great. a nap. He's okay. Someone's got to come and save him. He's fine. Because he was like, why did he stand there? There's there no reason. No there's reason no for reason him to stand there. at all. Yeah. Um, and there's no reason for him to, be, to have been dead. He got hit by a wave. It, he's, there's no reason. They've just, uh, but I think it's desperation. I think we've lost enough time. Maybe even if he is alive, if we spend another half an hour trying, so but oh yeah, that no, wave they hits them, no, you're dead. right, no, they couldn't save. They it. leave they, because the yeah. wave is just gonna yeah. done, and then the the panning out shot is well, there he is, face down in the water. So yeah, fuck it, maybe he is, maybe he is dead. So I don't get why they left him. Bottom line, um, there doesn't seem to be. Well, I know why they left him, but I don't. We don't know that he's dead again and again. I think because interception, interception. I've done it again. <laughs> Inter- Interstellar. Nice. This is nice. perfect. Interstellar is so long, and yet there are still unanswered questions in it. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. 
um like i it's fine it's sort of it dances between don't treat your audience like idiots which it doesn't um but are are there a few questions that i'm left with for i've watched the film three times now and there are still a few questions um i i love the depiction i love the depiction of space flight uh in terms of how they get to where they're going i I, I like the cryo-sleep element, that's fine. I love to go back to the point we were making on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Th- this film corrects a CGI uh, shortcoming of Kubrick's film, which was in 1960. They, 1960? 1960s? 60s, um, yeah, you're right. I think it might yeah. be 69. They didn't have the technological ability to depict Saturn. So if you read well, 2001 by Arthur C. Clarke, that's it exactly. Yep, you, they they couldn't do Saturn's rings, which is why the monolith, everything that happens, happens around Jupiter because mm-hmm. Jupiter is a red, basically a red ball. Yeah. As long as you get the spot, you're doing well. You know it's Jupiter as well. Yeah. Oh. Whereas in this film, I I was struck by just how, first of all, how beautiful Saturn is, but also, and this is this is we we suffer from this as Star Trek fans. We're so used to seeing anything in space surrounded by a star field. Yes, But of exactly. course it wouldn't be surrounded by a star field because there's only one star nearby and it's our sun. Yeah, it's too, uh, Jupiter is too bright. So, uh, Saturn is too bright, so you wouldn't see... The only reason you see stars is because of an absence of light near you. Um, mm. and, and you know what, what strikes me about all of this film, the entirety of it, is it's like a photograph. They are taking things that we couldn't yes. possibly have photographed in this kind of definition and yet it looks like a photograph. So Saturn looks like I'm standing next to it. The black hole looks like... That's exactly what a... I didn't know what a black hole would look like but that, right there, that's what a black hole looks like. And As proved by that, the photo that... Uh, hopefully, uh, anyone who is listening, if you haven't seen it yet, please go and Google this. If you haven't seen it, there is a released photograph of what a black hole looks yeah, like. Yeah, the first one ever. It was last year, yeah. wasn't it? It was la- Exactly, it was last year. It, so it was five years after this film was released. A photo of what a black hole looks like was released. And it looks like what bob they on. put in this film. It is absolutely yeah. bob-on. Um, so... I, I, one of the big points of this film is that they don't use a lot of CGI deliberately. There's a lot of practical effects. TARS, for example, um, is a physical model that um, was puppeteered by the same guy that voiced it. Um, they deliberately wanted stuff for the actors to react to, um, not just a ton of green screens. Um, the the wormhole that they fall into and the way they enter it, it's again, we're spoiled by Star Trek, which is wormhole opens, fly into it, yeah, wormhole closes. Exactly, yeah. This is just a distortion of space and time that they fly into. You know it's a wormhole, and yet you can't quite see it's there. It, it, it's you would just think, yep, yeah, that's what a wormhole looks like. It's it it is mind blowing. It is actually to come back to a point that you were making earlier about Event Horizon. It is almost word for word the explanation that Sam Neill gives in Event Horizon of how a wormhole works. Yes, is the explanation given in this film. Mm-hmm. It is not point a to point b it's folding space so that point a and point b exist in the same space at the same time that's beautiful and it's in my notes as well that they even use the same example they fold the bit of paper and stick a pen through whereas in in interstellar it's just a bit of note paper sam neill does it with a a 
pair of boobies. Uh, it's, it's a nudie mag, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, fr- from a, a scientific realism point of view, for as a viewer, I'll say, before you deep dive and, and go into that part, it's probably one of the most realistically depicted uh, sci-fi films ever. I think Contact is still held up as the most scientifically realistic film or yeah, sci-fi film but that's contact's not trying to be too much there's not a lot of new science in contact seti is a thing uh, c- contact in all it, it might absolute love contact is boring oh, but no, it's great. not it's not boring yeah. it, it's just because we're used to you know it was yeah. the same year as independence day i mean yeah. that was what we were used to so so this film it accepts the fact that we as an audience, we have to have something to react to, which is where the heart of the film comes from. It's the Murph and the Coop storyline. It's the Brand and Coop storyline. You get your, your turn on a character is when Professor Brand makes his confession to yeah. to Murph. And that's... Son of a bitch. Did he need to tell her? I mean, arguably, yes, because I'm, I don't want you to waste your life. Arguably, no. Why would you drop that No, no, that no. He does her? have to tell her so that... She doesn't continue on this futile path. That's I think where, yeah. You've got to try something else now. This, I know from day one, 50 years ago, this formula ain't going to work. You, you've spoken in the past, and you spoke on this about, about, you know, foreshadowing, Chekhov's gun, and this film, it both falls victim to it, in that yeah, it does a The bit. Watch. But the Watch. Of course, The Watch is going to do something. Like The Wormhole itself, the film is a sphere it is turning in on itself this is what i said at the start i don't mind that this of of all of the films i don't mind that this film starts at the end because i think it is designed to start at the end it is designed you're on this permanent loop which is the weakness is when you break out of that loop it's when coop goes after brand i I don't really i'm sorry but i don't care about that story if you're going to end it that way you may as well end it with um, with McConaughey, bit, sorry, Cooper being lost in the wormhole in the fifth dimension, whatever, you may as well end it with him communicating the science back to Murph, dying, um, and then Murph carries on and lives a life. End the film there, and you've saved yourself twenty minutes. I wouldn't even have minded um, because I I, I I I I do love their bedside chat. Um, I I feel that that is the way the story is written. I feel that that's necessary. Um, but the way this film is written, I think overall I would possibly be okay with what you're saying, just to have him lost in the black hole um, and manage to communicate back, and we don't know the science of it, and that's fine. I don't need it explained to me. No, he communicates to older Murph, so you could easily communicate something in that of an apology as well, and say, so I got all of this formula, I got all of this silence, all of this science, and then a line that just said, I should have stayed. That would have been, I think, just as powerful and probably a relief for old, not old Murph, but um, I've forgotten her name. She's from Zero Dark Thirty. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. It would have been a relief for her as well um, because there was a purpose to his journey. I think you save a lot of time. I think it. I don't like how he just exits exits the fifth dimension, floating in space, and they find him. Bullshit! If you're floating in space, you're not being found. Space is big. I'm I, again. I'm totally okay with that. Oh, sorry, with what you're saying, I'm okay with that. Um, I, they, they, I feel that they went with the Hollywood ending. I, I uh, absolutely agree. Absolutely yeah. again, agree, and I don't know why. If there was a way that they could have had Old Murph and him meet, 
you have this amazing technology of the Tesseract, I'm sure you could somehow manage to do that without... I mean, they are interrupting the flow of time and the fact that they can make him send messages back to 10-year-old Murph and Jessica Chastain. Uh, I'm sure they could have found a way to have him have a chat with Ellen Burstyn. So, yes, I do feel they went for the Hollywood ending where I I don't feel that that was necessary. And it's not very Nolan either. You don't need McConaughey to have a happy ever after. Well, hold on. Bruce Wayne had a coffee in an Italian uh, Uh, fucking cafe. Nolan, Nolan, I'm glad you're holding up Dark Knight Rises as the best ending of a Nolan film. When Nolan does does ends films badly, this is what happens. When he has to go Hollywood Mm. and there has to be a resolution for the main character. Nah, sometimes shit happens. And I would, you know, The Dark Knight sometimes shit happens yeah. he's a buddy and he's gone off yes. and, and, and that's I you know I he doesn't necessarily have to I don't know how he would have entered the film I wouldn't have had him come back and then go again it's it goes from the most surreal bizarre hard to comprehend because we're not supposed to comprehend mm. scene back to normality almost as if that hasn't happened I think the the so for those of you that haven't seen the film for god's sake we're not going to be able to explain this bit but basically he deliberately flies into a black hole so that he can him and tars can transmit the data back to anne hathaway who can transmit this relativity information back to earth which will allow them to there's there's a missing link between relativity and gravity so you can't get the massive city ship off the planet without defying gravity this the black hole has the answer. Mm. Uh, he falls into the black hole and ends up in this dimension, which has been created by future humans to allow McConaughey to communicate the science back in time. It's basically the wrong side of a bookcase. It 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 takes a few watches. I mean, even just to what you just said, took me a few watches to get that. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, 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 I yeah. did not get it on first watch, and that is, uh, it, it is a criticism of it. Again, you, it doesn't need to be spoon fed to me, but I had no idea what was and going it, on. Again, in it's the one first of those things watch. that takes you out of the movie because we can't comprehend this this stuff. You are seeing I, time as a dimension, and our brains are not wired to look at time that way. So whatever you do to manifest it takes me out of the movie. In this. In the same way that I had no idea what was going on, it's the same way I feel about what is the best part of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is the Stargate scene. Yeah, it no, is, totally. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. The The space child, the, sp- the space baby, star baby, um, which is uh, so... I mean, it's not so much an homage as it's just like copy and paste. You have Coop floating in space much as the star baby does. And... It didn't take me out of the film so much as it hammered home to me that I'm not, and I might be assigning way too much to Nolan here, I'm not supposed to understand. I'm just supposed 100%. to view. So don't put it to film. I think you, oh no, you've, you've oh set no, yourself, oh my You've God. set yourself an impossible task. Ian, did you just yeah. suggest that your audience must understand at all times or you should never commit it to film. No, I'm saying oh. that if you're, this sticks out like a sore thumb trapped in a blender because your entire film is science and not science fiction 
Let's set it as much in reality as we can. However, we're going to have a 15-minute scene of something that is literally unfilmable because you can't extrapolate this from current science at all. I'm amazed it got past the scientific advisors. I get that you can you can phrase it as this is just how his brain interpreted things. No, because there's a physical element to it. He is communicating through time. There, I'm not going to suggest a way to make it better because you can't manifest this extra dimension because it don't exist well um because there is a line by tars that they created this so that he could do what he does yeah it's a throwaway line so that this film does it yeah. so many times i've done and the, you know what i will say, there is a lot of throwaway lines in this. bloody kenneth does it as well of it's too complicated don't think about it that's not that's not a gimme. That's not a get out of jail free card. Of don't even question it. It's too complicated. Do you, know, do you know what? Actually, not to sort of to sit on the fence really for more than anything else, but I like when that's done well. You know, just kind of just go with it. When it stands in tenet, it stands out. And it's annoying. It's the bulk of it's the main premise of your film. So where I like it is um, when it's a MacGuffin for, like, radiation. So The Martian does it really well. It's just, yeah, yes. you know, we yeah. solved the radiation problem of getting to Mars because we solved it. Doesn't, nothing, the film doesn't hinge on radiation we're, stopping you from getting to Mars. We're now at a stage of our technology where we can where do that this, can and that's fine. Yeah. Exactly. I don't need to know that bit of science. However, if it's fundamental to your plot, I feel like I do. And that silence is the silence of victory, ladies and gentlemen. I'm uh, there, there's a c word in my <laughs> mind that I'm not. I don't want to say it yet. I okay. Let's get on to what I feel is the strongest part. Go of this on, film. talk about the score. Go on. It's it it is very much the zim. And I suppose before I go on, the isn't that a barbed compliment? The strongest part is the score. I feel one of the reasons that I feel so strongly about Interstellar is uh i i vividly i vividly remember the first time i heard the music from this it was the uh, as i mentioned that they released supermarine before dunkirk hit theaters yeah they, uh, he released a film called day uh, a film sorry a piece of music called day one day dark one. yeah day one dark was the uh, sort of the promo in the same way that a film gets a trailer this was his trailer for the soundtrack mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was working a, uh, a job at the time where i had the time to listen to these things <laughs> and uh, isn't that nice I, isn't it lovely yeah and i stuck it on my headphones and i remember feeling and i don't think this is an exaggeration i felt changed Mm. whether his was not the first score to ever use uh, organ uh, and he has received quite a bit of criticism over the use of organ in this film Uh, i feel that it's not so much an homage to 2001 as like i said in the same way that the film is a, a spiritual sequel the score i know there was not a score per se written for 2001 but everyone remembers the yeah. strauss uh, uh also sprach zarathustra i've either sounded deadly or like a twat anyway it's one of them um and it, it, no it absolutely is like that, that it is this this film is in so many ways a spiritual sequel to 2001 and the score has 2001 slapped all over it this to me which I'm saying before I say to bloody everyone with ears, but no, to me, this is not just Zimmer's best score. This should be its own symphony. 
this 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 transcends not only the film which i feel it is it is perfect i i think that uh, zimmer and nolan they just get each other it's why like i don't have any criticisms really about dunkirk's score i was you saw me i was like i want to oh, say I feel something like a dick but... because i'm saying bad things about a film that's fantastic uh, but and uh, the Dark Knight trilogy is fantastic scores, um, and Inception is brilliant. And why he was, again, I love Ludwig Göransson. Anyone who has heard the Black Panther soundtrack uh, or the Mandalorian soundtrack, it does. He's a fantastic musician. But the score for Tenet just didn't didn't work. He doesn't seem to have that symbiotic relationship with Nolan that no. Zimmer does, uh, because. Zimmer was doing a little film, uh, Dune or something. Um, <laughs> but this, so we, we we were texting last night, and uh, this is the one bit where where you seemed worried. Is what I started texting you, like you know, kind of, oh, you know, I hear what you're saying, but let's talk about Zimmer's score. And I talked about so there was day one, the theme for this film, whether it's played on a very very quiet piano or on the loudest organ you've ever heard. It's the same theme in the same way that Cooper's search to save humanity is Murph's search to get her dad back. And it's, uh, Dr. Mann sums it up in, in a sentence. It's, if we tried to unite humanity around the idea of saving their ancestors, it never would have worked. If you try to unite them around saving themselves, you'll get more participation than you could have ever dreamed about. Which, yeah, is personified in himself, the selfish bastard. I remember laughing in the theatre, but the sudden appearance of Matt Damon did take Aye. me out of the film. Uh, <laughs> it does oh kind of take you out of the movie. It's like, whoa, what are you doing here? Aren't you on and Mars? And now you're going to hear the smartest words of any scientist ever. Matt Damon. <laughs> I'm Matt Damon. It's, I, oh, man. And again, that, for some reason, I might be wrong, just to derail you from the score the entire matt damon planet scene takes me out of um the film this is the it's... scene i was talking about you could lift that entire story the whole I, thing i, I, I love the it. the imperfect locked scene it's great it's very tense i love the whole but what i love about that scene is i love coop spinning the module to lock up i, oh I don't my- God, so delete the entire man's planet scene. You don't need it, but find a way to An dock. Yeah, anything. And anything can do it. To find a way to dock, spin. That is the only bit of the score that I remember. Uh, I'm hideous at remembering scores, but I remember that because it's tension, 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 tension. Spinning, 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 and dock. It is genius. The, the, so this film, as uh, all of Nolan's films have, uh, nearly all of them, uh, the soundtrack was released. And within day one, uh, people were crying, going, where's the music for that scene? That's incredible. Yeah. And so a deluxe edition was released within seven days, I think, with that music added to it. It's because stunning. it is, it's, uh, so the standout moments for me of the score are Coop leaving. So the, yeah. the transition of him driving oh. away from the house to blasting up at the rocket. And that is, Crushing. I, I texted you this last night, heart broke. Uh, uh, the arrival at Saturn, which yep. is the the main theme, just done on a quiet piano. That the imperfect lock scene. I want I want to say that it's not the tesseract scene because that's that's quite low key. But I do like the ending of the of the organ swelling. Yeah, 
And, you know, I get so many Nolan and Zimmer collaborations do this, where it swells toward a silence. Yeah, really, really eardrum bursting loud and then cut. So, to sum up, okay, shit sandwich. It is, in my opinion, the most beautiful Nolan film there is. In my opinion. It and has the best score of any Nolan film. Um, and arguably of Zimmer's career so far. Okay. Badness, it's way too long. Um, and it should have it should have cut the whole I, f- I feel you could have lost the man character and not lost anything from the film. Yep. I feel the ending was not necessary. I think you, you could have stopped it with Coop and Murph. Uh, easy way to, you know, you look out a window and, you know, there's the wormhole. Or, you know, it, it's easy enough to do that. Um, although I did, there was one line. Uh, Coop is sitting on his house on the space station and Tars arrives beside him and says, you know, how do you feel? And he says, this isn't for me. I did like that. I yeah. liked the fact that he was able to look at, let's not try and be what we were. Let's be something better. Yeah, absolutely. I did like that. So, so the ending is both a, a negative and a positive. And one last positive for me is that I think across the board, every, every actor, be they large part or small part, perfectly cast in this film. I have to say 100%. I'm sure there's other examples of Nolan films where he's he's done as perfect a casting round, but to me, Interstellar would be get 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 a perfect cast the way you got for Interstellar, yeah. and you're doing okay. It's Interstellar and Inception. I think a cast perfect. There's not a single character that I would change in in any of it at all. I think it's casted absolutely beautifully. Um, I think my my summary thoughts are there are some genius genius moments um, in this film. Uh, visually, I agree it is visually the most probably the most stunning film I've ever seen. It's the most stunning of Nolan's films. Um, this could easily have a seventy six page script as well because just give me the shot of Saturn, give me the visuals of the black hole and the wormhole as you have. It's you can't not watch that. It's beautiful, and I wouldn't cut a single second. And equally, there's some phenomenal bits of home humour in what is a pretty dire story, like Tars. Tars is just how can you love a Brilliant. desk that much? And he's just like, like, so what's your what's your humour saying? Um, my humour saying is at ninety percent. Take it down to seventy five, and he's like, knock knock. Do you want it to be at sixty percent? <laughs> And it's just brilliant. And when um, they're talking auto about... Auto-destruct activated. Yeah, auto-destruct activated. Yep, take it down a bit. But when um, Man is trying to dock with the with the, the, the Endeavour, and he's just like, it's fine. No, he's, he's going to be able to dock because of the autopilot. And Tars is like, no, I deactivated the autopilot. He won't be able to do it. And it's My like, trust settings are quite a bit lower. Oh, what's what's your trust setting? Obviously lower than yours. There's just bits of humour that are mm. brilliant, but I also feel like they don't belong in this film. Some of them, yeah, I I love Tars. Uh, potentially wish he was in a different film. Absolutely. Um, he stands out in this film, doesn't he? Yeah. The sarcastic robot yeah. doesn't match the end-of-the-world doom that we're facing. It's like, why would you bother to program him with a personality? He doesn't need one. Do, we're do about functionality, else? aren't we? I felt that there is actually because you mentioned end of the world doom there, which of course there is. There is a a wink and a nod 
I feel, toward Michael Bay's Armageddon. You know, why would you send oil drillers up onto an asteroid? Well, I know Coop is not a farmer. He is an engineer. Right, no, but I've got a point about all of the Coop ending up in space thing. Right, so my whole issue with the, the NASA thing and him being the... So, they stumble upon NASA... But they they don't stumble upon it. They find the coordinates because McConaughey from the future, using gravity and the bookcase, um, has given them the coordinates of NASA. That's fine. Cool. But they get to NASA, and within about six and a half minutes, McConaughey is now the last hope for mankind. Michael Caine knows where he fucking lives. He's down the road. Why not, knowing that he's a frustrated farmer, go to him and say, we need you for this mission? Especially since now he's apparently the only man that can do the job. How was how was this plan going to work? Because it feels like it hinges on McConaughey and he just accidentally himself into the plan. No, no, I, I, I can't argue with that because it's you're right. It's There are other ways to have got McConaughey into that cockpit. Um, and to impress upon him the importance of this mission. I feel that the team they put together are, are great, and they're, they're a fantastic, yeah. effectively a fantastic double team, although the other guys are, are good too. Um, there is so much good writing in this film that I feel like that was a, we need to get from point A to B, so just fold the paper over and just get Coop into the into the cockpit. Yeah. And right, okay. So well, I think we—is there anything else you want to say about Interstellar? Any anything else that you think we haven't covered off? I feel that Interstellar, out of all of Nolan's films, I feel that Interstellar will be, maybe with the exception of The Dark Knight, I feel that it will be remembered longer than most of the other films in his back catalogue. Uh, certainly more than Tenet. Uh, Inception would be, you know, possibly the runner-up behind Interstellar in terms of longevity. Um, I think Dunkirk is right up there, though. I think I think it's brilliant. I think Dunkirk is is it's very, very, very good. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic war film. It's a great uh, story of you know the success of the human spirit of camaraderie. It's it, it's all it's all the good stuff, and I don't necessarily think it's any worse than Interstellar. I just don't think that in 20 or 30 years we'll be talking about Dunkirk. Oh, but I think disagree. we will be talking about Interstellar. I, I think I think Interstellar in 20 years is going to age poorly. I think Dunkirk will be a classic. I think it will be held up with Saving Private Ryan, The Great Escape. Um, uh, I think 1917 is in this boat as well because I think that is that almost feels like a Nolan film as well. Um I I am willing to admit that Interstellar I don't enjoy Interstellar as much as I could because I'm stupid. So Ah no 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 I, I, no. I don't I, I I'm not I don't allow my brain to just let the fifth dimension bookcase stuff happen and get a free pass. I have to have it explained in front of me, which is partly what I said about Memento. I kind of wanted to then run through back the entire film in 30 seconds so I understand all of the pieces. But I I think the reason my stupid brain likes Dunkirk so much is because it is it's very efficient storytelling. It is not a second wasted um it gives me way, way more feelings than Interstellar. Interstellar gives me some awe and it gives me some aww. 
because because of the kids and the 23 years and the videos but Dunkirk is constantly edge of my seat for want of a better word entertainment but then also crushing and heartfelt it's uh, it's just I think it's cinema to be really cheesy I think it's just it's what you go to the movies for um Interstellar I feel like is far more removed from the human equation I think there's just stuff in it where our brains aren't aren't able to get our head around I don't want to come off like I don't like Interstellar I really 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 do and I think as an essay it's fantastic I think as a as an observation of where humanity is going to go um, where we are and how we get there as a documentary I think it's brilliant as a movie Dunkirk is a better movie it is edited it is restrained it is it is better put together as a movie and that's what we're judging here i'm going to right be right i'm going to sound like an absolute prick for a second <laughs> it's all right you spent the last two hours sounding like one that's 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 quite right. Oh, this is this is this is. Don't worry, I'm going to talk about smart things. So go make a coffee. But uh, peace out. No. Englishman's gone. I th- I I I guess where I feel about Interstellar is that while I feel that it is truly a seminal piece of cinema, I think every from audio visual uh, to script to everything, I think it's. I I I stand by it. We we will be talking about this film. In many ways, in the same way that we talk about 2001 in years to come. But of the two films we're talking about this evening, go on. I think Dunkirk has Dunkirk has it for me. Gosh, I, I, that's hard. Right. It's really hard, and I think I would love to say that on a different day I'd agree. But as a movie, it it is. It's hard for me to say it's better because I think Interstellar does more and I think the level of difficulty, I've talked about this before, the level of difficulty gets you some extra points. Level of difficulty, Interstellar is a harder film to make but I, I don't think he lands it. Not not in every single way that Dunkirk lands it. Again, to sound like a prick for a second, well, Dunkirk is a much fucking simpler film to make. It is, so, 100%. Which, no, it, it's already there. It, it is, and it, so yes, yeah, so yes it is. You can pick up a history book and you can read the story of Dunkirk. But to read the story of Interstellar, you have to read astrophysics. You have to <laughs> look to sci-fi. Yeah. You have to take inspiration from so many different things. And that's not to say that that is a detriment. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke is very much, if you've read his body of work, which I've only read some, uh, because, you know, I, I do like having spare time every now and again. Like, it's yeah, nice to I not mean, just be reading. Come on, but you got Stephen King to get through first. Well, that, which I've made a valiant effort at. Spoiler for a future series. Um, but this film, uh, we've, we've belaboured 2001 to death, but there's also another story that is in there, which I didn't pick up on, on first... Now that I've conceded the point of Dunkirk, and I'll come back to that for a second, but just my last <laughs> thing on Interstellar, it's a love letter to sci-fi it's a lovely to Arthur C. Clarke you've got 2001 you've also got Rendezvous with Rama which is a story which is based about a large cylindrical object that humanity comes into contact with and it is of course uh, in this film it is the space station that Murph designs is this large cylindrical escape to the stars Uh, it's a it's a love letter to the golden age of sci-fi to the blockbuster to cinema in general which is why i have such a hard time letting go of it 
because I am such a, a, a fan of all that. But no, to be completely fair, to be completely honest, if I was to choose tonight a film to stick on, I would probably stick on Dunkirk. I think and, yeah, and yeah. I was that's the next question I was going to ask because I think I think Interstellar does more and it aims for more, but if I'm going to stick on a complete story that uh, I hesitate to say pizza movie because of the subject matter, but I know yeah. To stick on a film, it will be Dunkirk because I know 100% I'm going to get it and I'm going to feel something really really powerful. Um so it the reason that they're very very similar films as well is because Interstellar is a love letter to Nolan being raised on Star Wars and sci-fi, as you've said, and Dunkirk is the the war film that he's always wanted to make. It is his. Both of them are his contributions to those genres. So, the the inspiration for Dunkirk came when him and his wife sailed across the the Channel, um, and he knew the story of Dunkirk, but that allowed him to visualize it. And this was back in the nineties, um, and he was so. He wanted to get it right that he collaborated with Spielberg. Um, Spielberg gave him a ton of notes on what he would have done differently with Saving Private Ryan. Both of these films are Nolan's love letters to the respective genres, um, which is a lovely parallel that I'd love to say we deliberately paired them up for that. We didn't, but it's a great happenstance. But yeah, it's I, I don't take a lot of victory in... Sorry, I don't take a lot of happiness from the victory. You just had but... to put the victory word in there twice. <laughs> put the, yeah, yeah put right, up the Vs. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't take a lot of happiness in that because Interstellar is a phenomenal film, but as a story in a movie, I think Dunkirk, Dunkirk does have it. You know, if there was if there was two films, any other two films, I I, I feel I would I would struggle, but I am very happy for you losing your V card to. <laughs> Dunkirk over Interstellar. Uh, you look. You have made a, a valiant, valiant uh, description effort. I've made my argument. Dun, I've given dun, up Dunkirk so much it. as well. I gave up Inception. I, I've, I gave up the Prestige. I don't want to say you let me have this one, but I feel it's a, it is, it's a stronger argument. I couldn't have argued any more for the Prestige. I'm wondering about Inception, but never mind. Um, Twitter agrees with me, so that's the main thing. Right, so to say we've run long, the, the irony that Dunkirk has won because of basically its length, and we're running in a, a very long podcast here, um, thank you very, very much for listening. We are not going to do anything else today. We're not going to do, we'll save some recommends for next week. Sean has a book, um, Gateway to Heaven. Um, you'll find it on Amazon. It's something like that. <laughs> Shadows yep. in the Stars. Gateway down. Um, I will take it. Yeah. You'll, you'll find it there. Um, find us on the socials. Find us on Twitter. Um, at um, uh, English Irish GTM. Um, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Thank you very much. Wave. <laughs>